Welcome to The Mystic Show. I'm Chris Curran, and I always feel like saying welcome back to The Mystic Show. But maybe you've never been here before. In that case, I have to tell you that this is the show about spirituality, meditation, mindfulness, and many other things that are unseen and otherworldly. Thanks again to Richard Shulman for our little theme music there. I think his website is richheartmusic.com. So thanks to Rich. And uh, our website is themysticshow.net. And really, you can go there, and there's a lot of information there. All the past shows are actually archived there. And you can also see the phone number there, which you can use to call us right now while we're on the air. By the way, today is September 24th, 2013. And I, I, I decided I should say the date at the beginning of the show because each when when each show becomes a podcast it's good to have the date or the episode number but we're not using episode numbers so we'll just use the date so the phone number again it's on the website themysticshow.net and we're also on twitter at the mystic show and it's a nice sunny morning here in New Jersey. By the way, we do the show live every weekday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. That's New York Time. And that show in the morning is replayed at night twice, at 8 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern Time. And like I said, all the, all of our shows are archived on um, the website, themysticshow.net. So we're going to jump right in this morning. Um, Again, uh, from our book, James Allen's book, Byways of Blessedness. And if, if this book hasn't been rocking your world, then then uh, maybe you have to listen a little more or read the book. Yeah, it's a great book. Byways of Blessedness, James Allen, the English mystic. Uh, We're on chapter five, which is called Hidden Sacrifices. And he's talking about obviously sacrificing the bad for the good in our lives. You know, in order to lead a better life and to become divinized or to become spiritualized, um, we pretty much have to give up a lot of negative things or habits or our ego. And those are sacrifices we have to make. In fact, I like... um, There's a great definition of sacrifice that I've learned in the past, and it's very simple, very telling though, actually. Basically, it says that, you know, normally we think of a sacrifice, it's something that's really hard to do, we have to give something up, we're giving up some pleasure or something good, and now we're, we have to, you know, live a more boring life, whatever, that, and, and it's, it's hard to sacrifice, right? That's mainly our belief. Um, but if you think about it this way, Sacrificing is nothing more than giving up something of a lower nature so you can achieve something of a higher nature. And when you think about it that way, well, it makes sense, right? I mean, we have to give up things of a lower nature, maybe our negativity, our anger, like James Allen was talking about, our anger, or impatience, 
right? Because that's another thing. James Allen is not talking about giving up uh, physical things, like eating certain types of foods or smoking or drinking. I mean, they very well may be things that should be given up, should be sacrificed, but James Allen is cutting much more toward the root and saying that it's these inner sacrifices internal to yourself that are the real sacrifices. And again, if you think about it, you're, if you, you can think of sacrificing as giving up something of a lower nature in order to attain something of a higher nature, it makes sense. And then maybe it's not so hard because maybe then you're focused on whatever that higher attainment is or that higher state and we know, I mean, I think everyone knows when you have a goal and you keep your eye on the goal, you move towards it. And you're also not bothered by all the, the riffraff along the way. I think in spirituality that that uh, principle is still holds true. So here we go. Let's finish uh, this chapter on hidden sacrifices. Um, and I also wanted to mention that as I'm reading this, um, you may, you know, I think if you're trying to do other things, like obviously if you're driving, you're driving and, and continue driving and continue paying attention to your driving. But if you're at home and you just have this on in the background or while you're doing other things, maybe you're checking your email while you're listening to this, um, when we're reading the James Allen on the show, you may want to just stop and actually really listen, uh, because as you may know, his writings are very potent and in very few words, he conveys a lot of meaning and, and it's a lot of practical meaning. So, so just consider that you may want to just stop what you're doing and, you know, for the 10 minutes or so, whatever it is that we're reading um, you can just really focus and you may, some people may want to even close their eyes and just really focus and just relax, you know? So here we go. This is reading from the book Byways of Blessedness by James Allen. And we're continuing with chapter five, which is hidden sacrifices. Then there is the sacrifice of greed and all greedy thoughts. The willingness that others should possess rather than we. The not coveting of things for ourselves, but rejoicing that they are possessed and enjoyed by others. That they bring happiness to others. The ceasing to claim one's own and the giving up to others, unselfishly and without malice, that which they exact. This attitude of mind is a source of deep peace and great spiritual strength. It is the sacrifice of self-interest. Material possessions are temporary and in this sense, we cannot truly call them our own. They are merely in our keeping for a short time. But spiritual possessions are eternal and must ever remain with us. Unselfishness is a spiritual possession which is only secured by ceasing to covet material possessions and enjoyments. By ceasing to regard things as for our own special and exclusive pleasure, and by our readiness to yield them up for the good of others. The unselfish man, even though he finds himself involved in riches, stands aloof in his mind from the idea of exclusive possession and so escapes the bitterness and fear and anxiety which ever accompany 
the covetous spirit. He does not regard any of his outward accretions as being too valuable to lose, but he regards the virtue of unselfishness as being too valuable to the world, to suffering humanity, to lose or cast away. And who is the blessed man? He who is ever hankering after more possessions, thinking only of the personal pleasure he can get out of them? Or he who is ever ready to give up what he has for the good and happiness of others? By greed, happiness is destroyed. By not greed, happiness is restored. Another hidden sacrifice, one of great spiritual beauty and of powerful efficacy in the healing of human sorrows, is the sacrifice of hatred, the giving up of all bitter thoughts against others, of all malice, dislike, and resentment. Bitter thoughts and blessedness cannot dwell together. Hatred is a fierce fire that scorches up in the heart of whom harbors it all the sweet flowers of peace and happiness and makes a hell of every place where it comes. Hatred has many names and many forms, but only one essence, namely, burning thoughts of resentment against others. It is sometimes, by its blind votaries, called by the name of religion, causing them to attack, slander, and persecute each other because they will not accept each other's views of life and death, thus filling the earth with miseries and tears. All resentment, dislike, ill-thinking, and ill-speaking of others is hatred. And where there is hatred, there is always unhappiness. No one has conquered hatred while thoughts of resentment towards others spring up in his mind. This sacrifice is not complete until a man can think kindly of those who try to do him wrong. Yet it must be made before true blessedness can be realized and known. Beyond the hard, cruel, steely gates of hatred waits the divine angel of love, ready to reveal herself to him who will subdue and sacrifice his hateful thoughts and conduct him to his peace. Whatever others may say of you, whatever they may do to you, never take offense. Do not return hatred with hatred. If another hates you, perhaps you have, consciously or unconsciously, failed somewhere in your conduct. Or there may be some misunderstanding which the exercise of a little gentleness and reason may remove. But, under all circumstances, Father forgive them is infinitely better, sweeter, and nobler than I will have nothing more to do with them. Hatred is so small and poor, so blind and wretched. Love is so great and rich, so far-seeing and blissful. Sacrifice all hatred. Slay it upon the holy altar of devotion. Devotion to others. 
Think no more of any injury to your own petty self, but see to it that henceforth you injure and wound no other. Open the floodgates of your heart for the inpouring of that sweet, great, beautiful love which embraces all with strong yet tender thoughts of protection and peace, leaving not one, nay, not even he who hates or despises or slanders you, out in the cold. Then there is the hidden sacrifice of impure desires, of weak self-pity and degrading self-praise, of vanity and pride. For these are unblessed attitudes of mind, deformities of the heart. He who makes them, one by one, gradually subduing and overcoming them, will, according to the measure of his success, rise above weakness and suffering and sorrow, and will comprehend and enjoy the perfect and imperishable blessedness. Now, all these hidden sacrifices which are here mentioned are pure, humble heart offerings. They are made within, are offered up on the sacred, lonely, unseen altar of one's own heart. Not one of them can be made until the fault is first silently acknowledged and confessed. No man can sacrifice an error until he first of all confess to himself, I am in error. When yielding it up, he will perceive and receive the truth which his error formerly obscured. The kingdom of heaven cometh not by observation, and the silent sacrifice of self for the good of others, the daily giving up of one's egotistic tendencies, is not seen and rewarded of men, and brings no loud blazon of popularity and praise. It is hidden away from the eyes of all the world, nay, even from the gaze of those who are nearest to you, for no eyes of flesh can perceive its spiritual beauty. But think not that because it is unperceived, it is therefore futile. Its blissful radiance is enjoyed by you, and its power for good over others is is great and far-reaching. For though they cannot see it, nor perhaps understand it, yet they are unconsciously influenced by it. They will not know what silent battles you are fighting, what eternal victories over self you are achieving, but they will feel your altered attitude, your new mind, wrought of the fabric of love and loving thoughts, and will share somewhat in its happiness and bliss. They will know nothing of the frequent fierceness of the fight you are waging, of the wounds you receive and the healing balm you apply of the anguish and the afterpiece. But they will know that you have grown sweeter and gentler, stronger and more silently self-reliant, more patient and pure, and that they are rested and helped by your presence. What rewards can compare with this? 
Beside the fragment offices of love, the praises of men are gross and fulsome. And in the pure flame of a selfless heart, the flatteries of the world are turned to ashes. Love is its own reward, its own joy, its own satisfaction. It is the final refuge and resting place of passion-tortured souls. The sacrifice of self and the acquisition of the supreme knowledge and bliss which it confers is not accomplished by one great and glorious act, but by a series of lesser and successive sacrifices in the ordinary life of the world, by a succession of steps in the daily conquest of truth over selfishness. He who each day accomplishes some victory over himself, who subdues and puts behind him some unkind thought, some impure desire, some tendency to sin, is every day growing stronger, purer, and wiser, and every dawn finds him nearer to that final glory of truth which each self-sacrificing act reveals in part. Look not outside thee, nor beyond thee, for the light and blessedness of truth. But look within. Thou wilt find it within the narrow sphere of thy duty, even in the humble and hidden sacrifices of thine own heart. Okay, wow. Yeah, see what I mean? (laughs) That might be good to just relax and close your eyes when we listen to that. We'll just take a quick break. Okay, thank you to Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Right, I don't know if you've listened to the Fractal Stream much, but there is some Mozart that plays on the Fractal Stream internet radio station. You're listening to The Mystic Show. Our website is themysticshow.net. And our phone number is also there. And there I go, I'm turning the ringer on. Sometimes when I remember, when I read the James Allen or read some of the books that we're reading, I actually turn the the ringer of the phone off so it doesn't ring while I'm reading. But I just turned it on. So feel free to call. Um, So I, you know, sometimes when I finish reading the James Allen passages that I don't even know what to say. Um. I mean, he puts it so well, right? He's talking about these hidden sacrifices that we have to make if we want to reach the truth and live a blessed life. And the way he puts it, it's it seems so very simple. And in truth, it probably is very simple. And that's probably one of the ways we mess ourselves up in life is that we think that it's too complicated and we want to make it more complicated. So I told you about this book that I read called The Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot. And I read this about, well, geez, now it's almost two months ago. 
because I started it on the way to uh, my trip to India. And um, so this book is really great because it talks about holographs and how the universe itself might be a holograph and how our vision and our hearing is all holographic. It's not actually, well, it's hard to explain. But when our eye sees an object, when you look at something, like when I'm looking at this phone right here, which you could very well call me on, <laughs> um, when, I'm lo- when I'm looking at the phone, in my brain, like I see a phone, but in my brain, there's not a picture of a phone. It's just frequencies and, and neurons. So the question is, how the heck do you see a phone when it's all just frequencies? Of First, it's light. Then it's, then it's just the uh, vibrations in your and and neuro neuro synapses or something like that. Anyhow, it's pretty crazy, but this this book explains it really well. The other thing he talks about is we talked a little bit about the near death experiences that he mentions in the book. He also talks about a lot of miracles that people have done or supposedly done. And he talks at this one section, he talks about um, outer body, or I should say out of body experiences. So the out of body experience, it's sort of like a phenomena that, I mean, first of all, I want to ask you, have you ever had an outer body experience? Because it's not so rare, actually. I mean, they've been reported throughout history from people in all different walks of life, different areas of the world. Uh, Algis Huxley, uh, Goethe, D.H. Lawrence, Jack London, August Strindberg. These people have all reported having out-of-body experiences. And they were also known... The phenomena of out-of-body experiences were also known to the Egyptians, the North American Indians, the Chinese, the Greek philosophers, the medieval alchemists, the Oceanic people, the Hindus, the Hebrews, the Muslims. There was some study in, I'm not sure what year it was, but it was a cross-cultural study of 44 non-Western societies and this scientist found that only three of them did not hold a belief in out-of-body experiences. That means 41 did, and only three did not. And there's he talks about other studies here where, you know, again, out of 488 world societies, 437 of them, or 89%, had at least some tradition regarding out-of-body experiences. So this phenomena is something that's been been reported forever by almost every every culture and every society in the world. So so what is an out of body experience? Well, it's um the typical one, it's usually spontaneous and it most often occurs during sleep or meditation or anesthesia or sometimes in the instance of traumatic pain. But basically, suddenly a person experiences the vivid sensation that his mind has separated from his body. And frequently he finds himself floating over his body and discovers that he can travel or fly to other locations. So, Right? That's that seems pretty otherworldly to me. Um, so if you've if you've ever had any of these experiences or known anyone, give a, give us a call. Um, so there's a lot of different cases, right? A lot of different cases have been uh, investigated, and obviously, because anybody can make up a story and say, "Oh, I had an out of body experience," but um, even the author of this book, Michael Talbot, he he had an outer body out of body experience and 
So it's funny. This there's one anecdote in the book. I'll just rev- I'll I'll just tell you about. Basically, there was um, there was a woman who was a hospital social worker in Seattle, Washington, and she really didn't take these out of body experiences, um, which are also called OBEs, out of body experience OBE. So she didn't take OBEs seriously um, until one, until this episode where she encountered a coronary patient. And several days after being admitted to the hospital, the patient had um, a cardiac arrest and was quickly revived. So the social worker visited the patient later that afternoon. And expected to find her, you know, anxious and maybe even worried about the fact that her heart had stopped. And the patient was a bit agitated, but for a different reason. Hmm. So the patient told the social worker that she had experienced something very strange. Um, Basically, after her heart had stopped, she suddenly found herself looking down from the ceiling and watching the doctors and the nurses working on her. And then something over uh, the emergency room driveway distracted her. And as soon as she thought herself there, she was there. So it's like she just thought about going there, and all of a sudden she was there. And basically she thought her way up to the third floor of the building, and she found herself eyeball to shoelace with a tennis shoe so basically there was a there was a tennis shoe right in front of her her consciousness or her mind whatever you want to call it at that moment um it was an old shoe and she noticed it had a the little toe had a worn hole through the fabric and she she also noticed some other details and she was Apparently, one of the laces was stuck under the heel. Anyway, she noticed some of the details. And so she she told this to the social worker. And so the social worker said, you know what? Let me let me see if I can go out to the third floor of the hospital and, and look on the ledge and see if there really is a sneaker there, a tennis shoe. So the social worker was very skeptical, but she did. She went up to the third floor and she tried to go outside and she... Well, she she went outside, she looked up at the ledge, but she couldn't see anything. So then she went up to the third floor and began going in and out of different patients' rooms looking for looking through these narrow windows. Apparently she had to press her face up against the glass to try and see to the left and to the right. And finally she found a room where she pressed her face against the glass and looked down and saw the tennis shoe. So she still couldn't tell if the little toe was worn out, you know, or if or if any of the other details were correct. But basically she she must have had help. She retrieved the shoe and confirmed all the details that the patient had given her. And there's a quote from from the social worker. The only way she would have had such a perspective was if she had been floating right outside and at very close range to the tennis shoe. So it, basically there's no other way this woman could have known that that there was a tennis shoe, what it looked like and that the little toe was worn out. There was no way she could have known that. So anyway, made the social worker into a believer for sure. So, yeah, apparently experiencing uh, an out-of-body experience during cardiac arrest is relatively common. So, and I think they've done studies with all these people and, you know, most of them have had some experience like this. So it's interesting. It just, you know, it makes you think, I mean, again, if you personally have had such an experience then you know what what we're talking about and you don't need proof because you experienced it. Um, if you have not experienced it, 
you may be thinking, well, who knows if that's true? And, you know, it, you might be skeptical, which is very kind of natural. Um, but, but we all know that as a human being, there's different subtler sides to ourselves. And um, I think with all that research and all that history and the fact that all the different cultures believed in that kind of thing and still do, um, there's got to be something there. And, and the research and the, peop- the stories from the people, especially like the one I just told you about, I mean, there's really no other explanation. It kind of reminds me of back about 10 years ago when I was really interested in uh, remote viewing. Actually, it was probably a little more than 10 years ago. And I don't know how I got into it, but I, I guess I, I'm sure I read a book. Well, and then I read many books about it. But basically, remote viewing was something that the U.S. government was um, trying to develop. Basically, you know, if you think of ESP, you know, extrasensory perception, where people just know things. Even here, some police departments have like a psychic that they use to try to find missing people and stuff like that. Well, they're using like psychic ability. So remote viewing is is like a psychic ability where these they were basically training people who had some, you know, natural ability to do it already. They were training them to, well, really spy on the Russians. <laughs> I mean, that's really what the government wanted to do, to, to see if these remote viewers could just see what's going on in Russia, what they're developing, if, you know, where their forces are, where the bombs are, what kind of stuff they're doing. Um, and they would practice. They would put like little, like someone in an office in New York would put, you know, a picture inside of an envelope and write a random eight-digit number on the envelope. And then out in California, they would they'd give this eight-digit number to someone in California and say, okay, what, describe the picture. So the, all they would have was the number. They didn't have, um, they didn't know what the picture was at all. And so they would sit and in, you know, kind of like in meditation. Um, and sometimes they, they were trying to develop a system where they would kind of draw things and take themselves through a process to sort of, you know, envision or, or get, get the information of what the, what the picture was. And apparently the people who were very good at it, like literally about 50% of the time they would be correct. They would describe the picture correctly. Now I'm sure it wasn't a hundred percent correctly. Like, like if the picture was a, was of a cat and maybe they said, oh, it's a tiger or a lion. You know, that's really close. But it's not 100%. I'm sure they maybe they did get some that were 100%. I've never... Of course, they didn't... They don't reveal any of that type of uh, data. So, yeah, it's interesting. So now there's actually websites... Well, by the way, the government... They did this program for a little while, and then they just stopped it, Apparently. Or either they stopped it or they took it underground because a few of the guys who were involved in it actually wrote books. I think Joseph McMonagall was one of them and Ingo Swan was another one. I've read both of their books. Um, pretty fascinating stuff, actually. And again, this points to the fact that we, the human being has much more awareness than the average person uses in everyday life. And and like like I said before, probably most people go through life they don't even think about these things seriously, but but you do because you're listening to the Mystic show. So if you've ever tried remote viewing, uh, give a call. The number the phone number is on the website. It's 973 498 
973-498-8033. And I must confess that, yes, 12 or 13 years ago, I also dabbled in remote viewing. Uh, there's actually a website, and I, I forget what website. It was literally 12 or 13 years ago. Um, there's a website where you can actually get these number codes and so you get first they just you get the numbers from somewhere and then it's like a you know it's like a short list of numbers let's say and you do you try and remote view each one like what what is the picture of there's a picture associated to each number so they only give you the number they don't give you the picture at first so you you take the number and then you try to think or <laughs> divine what what it's a picture of so you can make a drawing yourself or you know there's you can re- there's no rules to it you just have to it it's it's very right subtle and and uh etheric if you will so i i did that i got a bunch of codes and i had this little notebook and i did i probably did about 10 or 12 of them in total and there was definitely two of them that were really close. Like one of them, I, I remember I drew a picture of a shark and um, and waves. And literally the picture was of like, it was like a picture of the ocean with a lighthouse. So again, really close. I mean, what does it mean? Who knows? Um, is it relevant to... <laughs> Is it relevant to achieving a spiritual goal? No. That's why I stopped doing it years ago, even before I started meditation in the practice that I do now. Um, yeah, and, and I, there was another one I was pretty close on too. But anyway, it was interesting. I mean, back then I was a little crazier. I was even thinking that I could somehow, if I got good at it, I could you know remote view the the, the winning lottery numbers. <laughs> And, you know, hey, turn it into a career. <laughs> so so there you have it. Out, out of, I, I, I keep calling it outer body experiences, but it's out of body experiences. And also, also remote viewing. So when this is a podcast, by the way, if you have any comments on it, go ahead and you can, you can go to any post on the website and comment. Leave your thoughts or ask a question or anything like that. So we'll just take a quick break. Now I'm going to fight them all. A seven-nation army couldn't hold me back. They're gonna rip it off Taking their time right behind my back And I'm talking to myself at night Because I can't forget Back and forth through my mind Behind a cigarette And the message comes All right. Thanks again, Melanie Martinez. Hopefully we can interview her on our one of our other shows, which is the Campfire Show. But this show, you're listening to The Mystic Show. This is all about spirituality, meditation, divinity, the otherworldly. And again, it's all centered around the practical application of all these things. I mean, I don't know what good it does to read books and to, to get knowledge if, if someone is still a horrible person, <laughs> you know, hurting other people, hurting themselves, causing trouble, causing misery. I mean, what? so, so they might read books about remote viewing and, and out-of-body experiences. So what? So... The whole point of this show is to bring up this conversation because that, 
in my opinion, there's people out there who want to have this conversation about the real practical spiritual pursuit, but they don't know where to have it. A lot of people are, you know, so-called spiritual but not religious, right? Even when you fill out a profile on the internet and they ask you what your religion is. You know, are you Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim? And then there's one called spiritual but not religious. And apparently, I, I even read some study, that that percentage of people who are spiritual, not religious, keeps going up and up and up over the past, whatever, 30, 40 years. So a lot of people know that there's something more, that there's something beneath. There's something really vitally important that is not being talked about. And hopefully we can, well, hopefully we can talk about those things or if not, you know, at least get close to talking about those things or maybe answer some questions or maybe even ask some good questions. So, by the way, if you know someone who might benefit from listening to this show, just forward them the the website or tell them when to listen. Again, we're live every weekday, 7 a.m., and we replay it on the Fractal Stream um, every evening, 8 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern Time. That's New York City time. So, speaking of spirituality... Um, I wanted to talk about what spirituality is because someone recently asked um, my spiritual guide, what is spirituality? You know, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. And even in religious circles, it's thrown around a lot. Different religions use the word spiritual, spiritual retreat, you know, or even in, in their texts. The Bible, or I don't know if the word spiritual is in the Bible, but certainly it's very uh, prominent in Christianity itself. I know I've heard it a lot and read it a lot, um, and I'm sure in the other religions as well. But what what is it? So the answer he gave was very interesting. Basically, he said that if... He said spirituality is the pursuit towards divinization. So if you think about that, if if someone is on the path to becoming divinized, meaning they want to become a spiritual person, or like I said, a mystic, or a saint, or a master, or whatever, um, if you're on that journey to becoming that, that's a spiritual pursuit. And another distinguishing factor is that in spirituality, basically you look inside yourself. Because if God is everywhere, right? Everyone says God is everywhere, God is love, and all this stuff. And we all know that, right? We also know there's only one God. There's not many but yet we still argue and fight over it, which is crazy. So we know that God is everywhere, so isn't he in my heart as well? Right? So that this is the argument of a lot of people, especially in America. Why should I go to a church or a temple when God is right here with me? And in, in reality, that's true. Right? God is in each of our hearts. And when we turn to look in toward toward our divine heart, that's a spiritual pursuit. Whereas if you think about traditional religion, it's looking outward. It's thinking that there's a God up in heaven who's judging me, and I have to do all these things physically like go to church or go to temple or do all these rituals and all this stuff right it's it it's a very outward 
looking system for the most part. For the most part. But spirituality is when you look inwards. You're looking in for the divinity. Because that's the true pursuit. If That's God realization or self-realization is when you realize that God is inside your heart. And any help you need, you can get from your own heart. Any answer you need, you can get it from your own heart. Everything you need is there, is right inside of you. It's not outside. That's why people go their whole lives and they're never satisfied. They never get the answers they want. And they never feel like they found anything real. But if you look inside yourself, I mean, and and we've all been, I, I know in my experience, this is what happened to me. This is how I came onto the spiritual path. I had done, I was living my life. I thought I knew what to do. And I was working different jobs and get fired from this job, go work at that job. And I thought I knew better than everyone else. And I thought once I had a good job and I had money, everything will be fine. And there were times when I had some money. There were times when I didn't. But, you you know, every desire you have in the physical world, as soon as you satisfy that desire, you have more desire, a bigger desire. So you might get a new car, you might get a new Honda, but maybe two years from now, now you want a Mercedes or a BMW. So, and then what after that? You want a Rolls Royce. And then, so, and then you want two cars, three cars, and then you want a house and two houses, three houses. I mean, it's been, it just look around. This is life. It never ends. Those desires never end and you're, no one is ever satisfied. So when we try and satisfy our the the calling from our heart by looking outside ourselves, we're literally doomed to failure. And well, I guess that failure is necessary because that's the thing that'll lead us to the real spiritual path, which again is what happened to me. Right? You just I got so fed up. I said I don't know what to do. I'm I'm. I gave up. I said, I don't know what to do, and I need help. And I know, I I didn't know anything. Luckily, or maybe it's not luck, but I found the, the Sahaj Marg practice. And I feel very at home, and I've, I've benefited tremendously. So that's... You know, basically, spirituality is the pursuit towards divinization, towards becoming a perfect person, even though we know we're never going to become, really become perfect. Um, we have to strive for it. I mean, we don't have to, but if we want happiness and truth, we have to strive for that. Because like James Allen said, where all the negative tendencies are, there really is no happiness. So we're free to mess up our lives as much as we want. And and most of us do. But, and, and we may claim we're happy, but we're really not happy. And it's funny, as, as I've progressed in meditation, you can actually see people who are just nervous and worried and I mean they look like normal people but if you if you just sort of trying to you know feel their vibration or or read their condition you see that they're just they're kind of like a mess inside their head with all these little worries and it's it's just a very complex life they've built for themselves so the other the other thing about spirituality is that um, is you know when you're on a spiritual pursuit, there's kind of two ways to go. One is that you basically um, think of think of when you're diving into a pool, right? When you're standing on the edge of the pool, you have to actually you know push off with your legs and dive in the pool. 
So basically you're pushing off of the edge of the pool to jump into the pool, right? And this is basically the way of renunciation when it comes to spiritual pursuit because some people, you know, this method is to renounce all the bad things in life. So you're pushing away all the negative things, the anger, the impatience, you know, all the things that we're learning from James Allen. And by pushing those things away, you move in the direction of divinity going the other way, right? But renunciation is not very easy. So anyway, so pushing off of pushing off of one thing to move towards the other thing, that's renunciation and that's the way of religion, typically. You don't want to go to hell, so you keep pushing away hell to, to hopefully move towards heaven. But the other way, the other method is to not push anything. The other method is to just make yourself very light, like weightless. So you can almost float. Like if you think of it as think of it as far as like a spacecraft. Like a spacecraft has the jet propulsions, right? The thrusters. They push they push off the thrusters in one direction so they move in the other direction, right? Again, that's the renunciation way. But if a vehicle is in space and it's light, it almost needs no thrusters to move in any direction and it 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 just becomes weightless and basically that it, it, that's a spiritual pursuit when you try to become lighter and free of ego. Now, not completely free, but almost totally free of ego. And I think the lightness is a great point too because when you think about God, God is the lightest and the most subtle and right it's beyond subtle. It's like the subtle of the subtle of the subtle of the of the lightness of the subtle. Right, right? It's so so subtle that we have to become like that. So if we can lighten our load and um maybe pause our lives from now from time to time and just put down all the heavy baggage I think that uh, that would go a long way towards you on your uh, advancing you on your path to divinization. So there you have it, folks. <laughs> um, thank you for listening. This is the Mystic Show. Our website is themysticshow.net. There's all kinds of archive shows and good stuff there. Check it out. Um, if you want to talk about anything on future shows, if you have a topic, if you want to tell us your story, go ahead and contact us. All the information is on the website. So, as you move through your day today, keep in mind, there's more to life than meets the eye. And maybe we can help one other person today with something that they really need. And of course, when we help others, we only help ourselves. So thank you for listening. Be blessed and keep shining.